Welcome to another episode of Meet, Act, and Part with your hosts, Greg Knott, Darren Laners, and Bill Hostler. Hey, welcome, everybody. So this is episode number two of Meet, Act, and Part. We did our inaugural uh, episode last time and talked about Masonic education. And we thought for a topic today, we'd talk about the first degree and maybe your experience and our personal experiences through that process and of course we won't give away any spoilers or any of the uh of the secrets but that's kind of not the topic it's more of our experience through that so i'm going to start off with bill and what you what what enticed you bill to even file a petition for blue lodge it was years in the making i guess um when i was a child i remember you know, my folks were older they were they grew up during the Depression and the uh, World War II, and I and so they, and they had a lot of friends who'd come over to the house who were Freemasons, and I would see the ring they wore. I always wondered about what it meant, and of course I didn't ask them because I was a kid and I didn't really understand. And as I grew up, I started trying to learn about it, and I'd ask my parents, and all my mother would say about it is, "Oh, you got to be rich to be a Mason. You know, you you they just don't take anybody," which. Well, okay, I'm sunk, but I had a great, great uncle, I believe he was. He was a member of what they called the Secret Six, one of the things that Ellie Nets worked for back during the um, untouchable days. And he ended up helping start the Indiana, Indiana State Police, and he ended up as a uh, professor in uh, Bloomington at Indiana University. And I remember when she talked about him and things she would say, it was like this look in her eye of and he was a 32nd degree Mason. Well, you know, I thought, well, that cinches it. You know, if my mother thinks that's such a big deal. And I waited, life got in the way, and I waited till I was 35, and I just happened to be looking on the internet, and I looked at the only, I went to the Grand Lodge of Indiana site, and there was only one lodge in, in, in Fort Wayne that had a, had a website, and that was Three Rivers Lodge. So I went to it, and I seen some of the pictures, and a couple of guys I'd worked with like 10, 15 years before were members. I thought, well, heck, that's cool. And it just so happened, a couple of weeks later, I was walking into a restaurant, and one of these fellows came walking out. And it was like the grand architect of the universe was saying, hey, dummy, ask for a petition, you know. And so I seen him that, and I, we, I said, look, I am formally asking for a petition, because I knew that was something you had to do. And so he put it, you know, he got it to me, and we got back and reacquainted. And we, you know, I went through the um, the thing, and, you know, um, I went through, they put me in, they prepared me to be a Mason, and I was just blown away by everything that went on. And, you know, as degrees progressed, you know, I learned more, but that first day, I was hooked. I thought it was the greatest thing. I mean, it wasn't even the secrets, it was just being part of something bigger than I was. And all these men who, you know, my parents, you know, rebelled over, and they, um, and the people in history, just who were Masons, I thought, well, I'm actually going to be a part of this. And I couldn't have been happier. And to this point, to some extent, I still am today. Right. Darren, what were your experiences? Well, there's a guy named Greg Knott who introduced me to Freemasonry. 
somehow when I joined, I also became his intern for uh, low these many years. Unpaid. I'm still waiting for a paycheck. I don't know that that's ever going to come. Probably not. But yeah, right. Lost in the mail. In all seriousness, I was one of the adults that uh, stuck around and helped out when Greg was the uh, den leader for, I want to say it was the Tiger Den, right? Yeah, yeah. boys first year. Yeah, boys first year in Cub Scouts. And I think he noticed something in me that maybe I didn't see myself and eventually started talking to me about Freemasonry. And I think you spun it as Boy Scouts for adults. I didn't know much about Freemasonry at that point. I did some research uh, and uh, it seemed like something that I would probably want to be a part of. I like, like Bill said, the history of it. So petitioned St. Joe and was accepted and then went through my degrees and the rest is history. So yeah. So my, my experiences were somewhat similar. I think my first experience with it was at my great uncle's funeral in the nineties. He'd been a member of St. Joe Lodge and the lodge there came and performed the, the last rites and it was very interesting to me. I didn't think about it again for years. And, and then I had another great uncle that passed away in maybe 05 or 06. And again, I saw that Masonic funeral and I thought, well, gosh, I need to be a part of that. So somehow got to talking to a couple of my other high school friends. And in late 06, we decided to uh, petition. So the three of us uh, petitioned Ogden Lodge. Uh, together and started our degrees together. And we actually ended up going through all three degrees. And so I didn't know what to expect. I guess like you guys, of course, I, I love the, the ceremonies and the rituals. And, and Darren used the, the analogy of, you know, scouting or masonry as scouting for adults. And I could see a lot of parallels because I was in Boy Scouts as a youth, was an Eagle Scout and was out of everything for a long time. And when I got back into scouting, it kind of coincided with the timing of that Masonic funeral. And so I've kind of done both at the same time the last 10 or 12 years. But like you guys, I knew it was about history. I didn't have any appreciation for what it was in regards to uh, symbolism or, or the esoterics of it. And I think I'm, I, I would still put myself in the rookie category of learning what all those are. But, you know, after going through that first degree, I think I was hooked. The night we did it, we, the three of us went through each individually. Now, today, they probably would have done us at the same time, but they actually did three degrees in a row that night because they wanted us each to experience it. So it took forever. I remember driving home with one of uh, the guys I went through with and we're just sitting there analyzing, what did we just do? You know, you're not sure. You've got lots of terms and sensory things coming at you during those periods of time, and you don't really have a basis of understanding. The only, the one thing you are told is basically you're putting your trust in a brother and uh, your faith will be well-founded. And so with that, that's what kind of kicked off my journey. And uh, I've not been disappointed. I've been disappointed at times. But when I look at the overall experience, it's for me been a very rewarding experience. But kicking off that first degree, you know, you're you're just not quite sure, especially if the secretary is asking the interrogatories, which could be a whole episode in and of itself. But you're just not sure. And so you've really, you have put your trust in somebody else to bring you through the process. Well, you know, the funny thing was, is that I was a truck driver at the time. I was an over-the-road truck driver. And I didn't expect to be active in laws. I really did 
I thought, well, you know, today I'm here in Indiana. Tomorrow I might be in Washington State. Who knows? Well, and, uh, but I was sitting there. I was doing in Indiana the uh, the cat lecture. Well, that's what they call it, Texas, Oklahoma. I think they call it the work in Indiana. And just the back and forth between the, the two and between your degree that you're just expected to learn. In Indiana, it's, re- it's an optional. But I went ahead and learned it anyway because I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to know what going on. And so I heard that being given and I thought, there's no way I can remember all that. There's just no way I can remember all those things. And I um I took the lecture and I would take when I was driving a truck that day, I would take like two or three lines and I would run them over in my head as I was driving, talking to the steering wheel. And then the next day I would take another set of lines and I would do the whole thing back so I had it all learned, both questions and answers. But I think one of the things I was looking for is I hadn't had something missing in my life. I was, you know, I was, as Greg and y'all know, I was big in FFA, Future Companies of America, when I was younger. And I missed that camaraderie. I missed, you know, going to different things and different events. And Freemasonry kind of filled that void. And in fact, the more I went to Lodge, I was like, this reminds me a lot of going to an FFA meeting. And I got to thinking about it. And it's like, well, I can learn to memorize that. I learned the FFA creed, all those parts, I you know, which was a requirement to continue on. So, you know, I thought, well, there's no reason I can't do this. And it just, it's like, it just, it's really to fill the void of something that I didn't even know I needed at the time. Yeah. I, and it's funny when I... I was an FFA as well and had forgotten a lot of it until my daughter was an officer a few years ago. And we're at one of the banquets one night and she was the vice president. And so as they open their meetings, it's not unsimilar to uh, Blue Lodge or other bodies. They would go around and and the officer would ask, the presiding officer would ask the, the officer what their duties were. And I thought, my gosh, that sounds familiar. And, you know, and as they go through the eight or nine officers, uh, I thought, well, my God, you know, that's got, it's got to have a relation. I remember I actually wrote an article on the Midnight Freemasons about it, came back and did some research. And sure enough, the guys that started the FFA, which I believe were out of the state of Virginia, were Freemasons. And so there's no question in my mind that they borrowed at least the formats of our ritual to, uh, to use. So, you know, I guess you, you could argue the impact of Freemasonry is even beyond the Blue Lodge members because there my daughter was experiencing it, uh, and she didn't even know it. So I, I agree with you. I was just going to say, I had to laugh. It's even like in the FFA when they had asked the vice president what his duties are. He does them. He's asked next, what are the duties of the president? Which sounds awfully familiar today, too. You know, so he has to learn both those parts. <laughs> uh, gee, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> That's where I probably picked up on it. So, Darren, you went, you petitioned. I signed your petition. You you went through that first degree. Do you remember what your thoughts were after you went through that process? I was kind of shocked, but you are blindfolded at that time, and you're being led around by a relative stranger to you. I apparently wanted to run around the lodge because my conductor, who I think I think it was Ray Cummings, kept telling me to slow down, which uh, I think he still probably does on occasion here at local events. But yeah, it uh, it really took me some time. 
time to understand kind of amazement. And uh, I think you have to see that degree performed a few times before you kind of understand. And if you, you know, break them out into their different parts, you can have discussion just those. I think one thing I didn't realize that I do now was the beginning of the journey concept. You know, I mean... You know, you start that night and really before that when you've done the the petition. But I I really just had no idea things I would learn, the places I would go. Uh, You just, you know, and part of that's because I did a lot of stuff, but you just have no idea really what it is you're starting that night and and i don't i don't think there's a way to describe it to anybody to the way to the point they'd understand it but they just uh they just have to trust you and i i think maybe sometimes people come in but we probably don't or even before they do their first degree maybe we don't say enough that this is the, the the journey of a lifetime but i think that journey that you begin to undertake you don't have a full comprehension of course there's no way you would but i think if if people knew what was ahead they might stick around longer even after they go through their third degree. I just, you know, you don't know what to anticipate. And as we've talked even in our first episode, you, you go through the three degrees and then you show up at the meeting and it's the, the typical, the minutes and all that. But if they'd wait a little bit longer, uh, there's just so much more there. And But they have to take uh, advantage of it. Well, first of all, we don't, you know, we're afraid to spoil in the secret, so we don't tell the guy anything. We'll just say, well, masonry is what you make of it. The more you put in, the more you'll give out. It's okay as to write, but there's a lot if you put into it, you're, you know. But everything's prefaced on, well, once you're a master mason, you can do this. Once you're a master mason, you can do, you can join the Scottish Rite. You can be a York Rite. You can become the Shriner. If they don't take, you know, and it's kind of like stop and smell the roses. I mean, it's like They'll get you try to run you through as quickly as possible the two meaningless degrees in their opinion, the inner apprentice and fellow craft. Get to that master mason degree so that you can become the shriner. We can give you these tickets we have, uh, petitions we have in our pocket and ready to give you on that night. You know, I remember the night that I was raised. It's like I had, I think I went home with like four different petitions for four different um, Masonic bodies. <laughs> and sadly, I joined all of them, but it's just, we just put so much emphasis on that. And then we don't tell anybody, well, you know, you can get a lot out of the Blue Lodge if you just stop and smell the roses and think about it and just learn what you're doing. My unpopular opinion is that uh, before you join any appendant bodies, that they should require you to be a master of the lodge. So that would at least give you five years in Blue Lodge, focusing on Blue Lodge. Uh, not to belittle any of the appendant bodies that I'm a part of. I love the Scottish Rite. I love uh, Admiration Chapter. Uh, however, I've seen Bill, and I don't know that I was victim per se, but my pet peeve is that guy who guy is still reeling from being raised as a Master Mason, not understanding what's going on and somebody's shoving a petition in their face to join the shrine or Scottish Rite or York Rite or, or whatever appendant body that there needs to be a greater emphasis on Blue Lodge and Blue Lodge is the foundation for all the other journeys that you take within Freemason. Well, and you know, the way I had an old timer once explained to me back when I was fairly young into this, and it made a lot of sense at the time that back in the day in the 50s and 60s, when 
the watch room was full every week that there was, you know, your chances of being the master of the lodge were pretty slim. You had to wait your turn. Like, it could take years. You know, I mean, so they, they would appoint, like, the junior deacon, and then that person would make his way through the chairs. And it was just like a one in how many number chance of actually being an officer. But you could go and join this other organization and maybe advance through it a little quicker. And it made a little sense to me. It's like, well, yeah, they're just, they were just trying, it was a way for you to um, kind of get more out of the Masonic experience and just kind of occupy your time while you're sitting there waiting for your turn. But the only, the only one I really wanted to join when I first started was the Scottish Rite. And it's kind of like, I think it was in our last episode, I explained how my mother used to have such admiration for a great uncle of mine who she used to say with a luck in her eye. And he was a 32nd degree Mason. And I, I just figured it's something you had to take years to do. And I found out, well, as soon as the check clears, you could be one. Well, you know, I'd do that kind of as a tribute to her. If she were still alive, she would probably be pretty, you know, she would have that same look in her eye when she talked about me to her friends as she did my Uncle Don. And that's the one I really, truly joined without any, you know, uh, question. But I remember one time I wasn't planning on being a Shriner. I was going to give most of my time to Blue Lodge. But our lodge used to meet after, after lodge at the local shrine, and we'd have supper and a few libations. And they were the guys there were assembled. Just asked me, says, "When are you going to become a shriner?" This is like a couple months after I joined. I said, "Oh, it's one of these days." Says, you know, I said, "I've been joining stuff. As money's a little tight. You guys already taught me through so many of these." Says, you know, I'm just not ready. And they said, well, is it the money? I said, well, it's partly, yeah. And then a little while later, I went to the bathroom, and I came back, and on my plate, uh, placemat, was a petition for the Mizpah Shrine. And I said, guys, I told you. I said, I just can't do this. Now, listen, you better fill that out. So we, we went ahead and took a collection up here, and we paid your first-year dues and your initiation fee. But, and we've already put them through in the slot in the book dates office. We just need your... Uh, to fill this out. I almost felt obliged to do it then. And so a couple months later, I was supposed to become the Shriner. I drove all the way back from um, Buffalo, New York overnight just to make it there on time so I could become a Shriner. <laughs> you know, I, I think it maybe appendage lodge just had its course at one time, but I don't think today is as important for these things as they used to be, but you can't tell the people whose memories of that that. And I think over history, sometimes so many of the appendant bodies are started because people don't find what they're looking for in Blue Lodge. And so I don't totally disagree with Darren, but, you know, waiting is the right strategy, even though, you know, again, I was not one that did. I think I was in Scottish Rite the next spring, but that was my own choice. There was no pressure on me to do it. And for me, I'm glad I did. I was, and I'm, I'm, I'm an all in kind of person. But for others, I don't know that that's the best strategy because you quickly get consumed with all these other bodies as probably the three of us are guilty of. And then you don't have time to really focus on the Blue Lodge like we should. Because the others, they all fail too if we don't, you know, bring in members that stick around. Well, what my problem was is I was doing Blue Lodge one night, York right about three nights of the week, high 12 on a Saturday. I mean, there was like, I think Sunday was the only day I didn't have a Masonic event. In fact, there's a group that they they made up in northern Indiana where basically you get together at the local shrine and have supper, and everybody pulls out their calendars and they figure out the next three months as to what's going on that night so everybody there can be sure to 
make sure to be there. And so, and, and so they didn't cross, you know, two events on the same night. It's like, wow, that, that's something to me, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't disagree with with either of you. Obviously, you know, I joined Scottish Rite. I think the next spring you had a special event at St. Joe's, I recall. And I went through the fourth and 26th degree, I think. I can't remember. But two degrees there and then went through the, the class later that fall of uh, 2012 when I joined the Valley Danville. But, uh, you know, in retrospect, it, you know, my, my thought has been that, that you can that I probably would have benefited more from some more background in, in Blue Lodge. I think in kind of wrapping up this episode, we've talked about our beginnings in masonry through that entered apprentice degree, a little bit about what we thought or what we didn't know what was yet to come. And so we're going to expound on that as we're going to take a journey through the degrees here in some of our early episodes. You know, for me, again, at first degree, I wasn't sure what I was getting into, but here, 10, 12 years later, I still may not fully know, but I've appreciated all the experiences that I've had. So I'll, I'll just kind of close with that. Bill, any final thoughts? Well, the only one I have is a shameless plug. <laughs> For one of my writings that I wrote about this topic on the Midnight Freemasons, it was called Burnouts and Buffets. Um, if you guys were interested, read that, and that'll kind of give you my background. And it will may help, you know, you probably might have the same issue, but I give you at the end, I give you some kind of idea of how to embrace it and deal with it. And then come back to us next time and we'll expound on what we're doing now. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And we'll see you again on our next episode. Thanks for listening in.